This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. I thought we played pretty well in front of our goaltender and he played obviously really well, one of the best in the league and you know, the best in the league. And, uh, um, you know, it was nice to you know, let one in for, for a change. We did a pretty good job of keeping them on the outside for the most part. And uh, I think it makes it a little easier on our goaltenders if we do that. We need it for uh, our confidence on the backhand and uh, for Vasi, you know, obviously. We've been giving up uh, more than three, so it's not it's not a good number for us. And uh, today was a good game, and uh, Vasi played unbelievable. At some point, that had to turn for us, but we've gotten on in our own way in a lot of these. It's not like I I feel that teams have been leaning on us, but tonight, you know, we didn't give up the bad one where you know our goalies got no chance, and we were the reason you know it happened. So you know we made them have to, to earn their breaks, and you know they get one. But if you're going to keep teams to one goal, you're giving yourself a really good chance to win. Oh, yes, you are. There it is. We didn't hear the munching, Mm-mm. but there is munching. There is some serious munching going on right now. Maybe not serious, but the Lightning feeling, I think, a bit better where they stand this afternoon. They've won three in a row after downing the Flames last night. It is Power Lunch here on Lightning Radio. Greg Lanelli with you, along with Dave Mishkin and Steve Versnick. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. Was that... Flurry, Sergachev, Cooper. Who was the Myers? first? Myers. Was it Myers? Okay. I think it was Myers. Myers. Okay. We've got some newer voices here. We do. We do. And it's Philip, not Philippe. Well, we asked him and what, what he, he prefers to go by, and he said Phil. So at some so point, so I was over two right up, there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one or the other, I guess. That may have been that his maman and papa <laughs> called him Philippe. <laughs> But maybe once he got I like that. out of French Canada, well, that's very good. He became Philip. I don't know. He did well. He's good Phil. for Phil slash Philip slash Philippe. He scored last night. Yeah, and you know Phil had talked about that with you on the post game show. We're going to get into the game. We're going to break it down. What went right? What maybe is still a little, little shaky. But anytime you score, I think you feel like you've contributed more in a big way, especially if you're new. You know, it it's like in any game. It too. did. It did. And with Perbix down, you know, you guys yeah. have talked to him about, and he had mentioned just I, I had to step up my game a little bit more because I knew being on the right side, uh, I was going to have to maybe play a little bit more. And look, I think sometimes when a guy knows you're you're going to be forced to play, don't worry about a mistake because of circumstances or how well you're playing. I I think logic would dictate you're going to play pretty well. And don't look now, but it's a nice back end depth wise. The Lightning are starting to create here. Well, he had had a rough stretch. I mean, he had the turnover in Anaheim, and then he sat for a while. And even before the Anaheim game, he was sitting. And I think that that did chip away at his confidence. He didn't look as confident, frankly, as he had during the preseason. Well, I thought he played pretty well in the preseason, actually. Yep. And that goal seemed to to help him get back to the guy that we saw in the preseason. And what he said in our post-game interview with him, and I'm not remembering if I'm saying this exactly right, but this is what I took from it. He basically said, I stopped thinking about what I was supposed to be doing and just played my game. And that's kind of what we heard from Brandon Hagel last year that was his big kind of transition where he had some hesitancy to his game. Now, maybe Myers wasn't wondering about what he was supposed to be doing. Like, Hagel was learning a new system. But... When your confidence is a little shaky, you're not as decisive in the decisions that you make. And I thought he took charge of his game after that goal. 
and he played a yeah. lot. I mean, right. he had to play a lot, like you mentioned, because Perbix went down, but he played 16 minutes last night. Yeah. Which, without looking at his game by game, I have a hunch that that might be his high for the year. So, good for him. And it was a big goal. Like, if we get into the game, there were the two key moments, and then there was, like, the the bulk of the, the 60 minutes. So, the two key moments, and I think you know where they are, <laughs> In the first period, Calgary scores. So the Flames did put two pucks past Vasilevsky, but only one of them counted because the Lightning got the successful challenge for Kadri being offside. Kadri doing something on the ice at Emily Arena that the officials missed, but a goal was taken away. Oh, no, Dave. Where are we going with this? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Unfortunately, that didn't happen last summer or spring, I guess. Sure. Was it summer? I guess it was still technically spring. Right? You know, in Florida, it just it's hot. <laughs> right. So if you confuse them, that's okay. It was in the Stanley Cup final. It was. Last night, though, they reviewed it on Coach's Challenge, and that goal was taken off the board. And then in the very next shift, Stampco scores. So you're thinking it's one nothing Calgary, and instead, in the blink of an eye, it becomes one nothing Lightning. That was the first big moment. And then the second one was... In the third period, Calgary did score on the power play. It's 2-1 with over 15 minutes left in the third, and you might be thinking, all right, better buckle up here. Ten seconds later, Myers scores 3-1. That was a huge swing. Both of them were huge swings and and really big factors in helping the Lightning win this you game. You know, not only are you are correct, and I, I want to give you some thoughts on those, but let's speak to the Myers goal because that's still fresh in my mind for sure since we just heard him as well. That was a That's what we call a bad goal. You can yeah. tell me why he missed it, Markstrom. You can tell me that. And Chief had mentioned in the postgame that he just maybe didn't see the puck. He didn't pick it up. And when you don't pick the puck up right off the bat on the stick – it doesn't matter who's in front of you, who's not in front of you. It's tough to make the save. That's a fair point. We just don't see those goals leaked in by a number one goaltender, Dave, let alone somebody who is mm -hmm. considered, I don't know, is it fair to say he's knocking on the door being elite by today's standards? Well, he had, a you great want to find year. he had a great year last year. But let me just talk about Markstrom for a second because yesterday – on the show, we ran down the numbers for Calgary. And what I said was the big difference between last year and this year based on the numbers is their goals against is higher. Because mm -hmm. they're still not allowing a ton of shots. Even last night, they outshot the Lightning by a wide margin, 40 to 24, which is more shots than they are averaging per game for and fewer shots than they are allowing per game on average. So they actually improved both of their their shot for and shot against numbers, but they lost the game. And so I did have a chance to talk to Rick Ball and, and Greg Millen, who do the, the Flames on TV before the game and after we had done the show. And I asked them, like, explain to me what is happening here defensively. Is it just goaltending or is it that they're giving up more chances than they were last year? And basically they said it's both, but they also felt that the Flames are not scoring as much, even though they are averaging over three goals a game, or they were averaging over three goals a game. I'm not sure if they still are, as they only scored one last night. He said they're not they're not 
being able to produce as much offense, but they said they have these new pieces in place and it's still a work in progress offensively and defensively, but at the same time, they basically said Daryl Sutter would say the goaltending hasn't been good enough. And last night, while Markstrom made a handful of really impressive saves and his best saves are actually down the stretch when it was 3-1, he stopped Kalorn. He had the one on Hagel on a tip. Remember that one? Yeah. Like, he made some really fine saves down the stretch. The problem was the one he allowed. The one he allowed to Myers was maybe the biggest goal of the game. And you're right. That was one he needed to stop. And maybe that's been the story of the Flames goaltending this year, which was not the case last year. The other thing they said, though, was they've had, they being the Flames, have had the run of play in a lot of games but they're missing the pop that Lindholm, Goudreau, and Kachuk gave them last year. And I think we saw a little bit of that last night. I think you're right. And you mentioned momentum. And it is true. We, we've talked about this before. I'm not sure it's there game to game. But in the game, that is true. It happens. And that goal disallowed was a big deal. It was totally a big deal in that game. Because the Lightning come back and they score after the goal was disallowed. By the Flames, and you know, I think the the numbers would would dictate that. Now, I thought Vassy, to your point, and and what we've discussed over the last twenty four hours, uh, he was outstanding, and I thought he allowed the Lightning to continue to push a little bit and continue to uh, build on their lead after that goal was disallowed. I also thought, in my opinion, the I felt like the first line had some really solid moments in that game. Like, I thought Hagel once again and Point once again, they had their legs, they were moving, and it continues, I think, to give other teams' partners some problems, particularly on the forecheck. And that's a good sign to see. And it was also good to see uh, the Lightning get a power play goal and with what Stamkos was able to do and seeing Kucherov score from one time or a position. We talk so much about his passing, and he is elite. I mean, I think you can make a case he's one of the top three or four passers in the game. But I think Nikita Kucherov has one of the best shots in the game. And maybe the Lightning have two of those guys uh, on their roster when you talk about uh, throughout the league, because I think Stamkos is right there. But I think Kucherov might be just as good a shooter as he is passer, it's just he'd rather pass first than shoot. But that mm-hmm. was a phenomenal play. And I think you pointed out, too, Sergachev made a good play to keep it in. Yeah. To keep that puck going. And Sergachev is so funny because he might be the most self-critical player on the team. And the Lightning have, like, Victor Hedman is, is pretty self-critical. Like, downplays good plays and points out every little thing that goes wrong, right? And I think Sergachev does that, too. So he basically said... Yeah, I got lucky that the he's like, I made a bad pass to Stamkos. It could have been picked off. Luckily, it went through. It was Coleman, actually, who couldn't stop the pass across. And that was the first pass in the sequence. Stamkos then fed it back on the other side to Kucherov, who shot it in. But there's no question that Sergachev's keep knocking the puck out of the air on his backhand and holding it in the offensive zone was a really impressive play. And he was, like, kind of sheepishly acknowledging afterward, yeah, it was a pretty good keep, but I got lucky on the pass, right? 
Yeah. That was a great play. That was a fantastic play. Yep. And I think we're seeing, we talked about Meyer's confidence. I think Sergachev's confidence, his swagger on the power play is starting to grow. Now that I would he's agree. getting now that he's agree. kind of establishing himself, and yeah. let's be honest, I think that's the right word to use. Establishing. He's establishing himself as the defenseman on the number one power play. I think that's fair. I think you're right. And is it fair to say that the power play has looked a bit better since the the move is made? And maybe I'm maybe I'm underselling it. It's not to say that Victor Hemmen isn't a great player on the power play and won't be back on the first power play unit, Dave. But since they made the move, I mean, has it looked better than yeah. what it was? With Hagel. I think Hagel's yes. been a part of it, too. He really wasn't on that goal last night because it, it was more about the keep by Sergachev, and then they zipped it around and Kucherov shot it in. But yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Yeah, and, and you know what? You're right. Maybe, maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe you have to give credit to Hagel a little bit more for what he's been able to accomplish so far, gaining his confidence, but... I looked at last night as an opportunity where after the Lightning gave up that perceived first goal, they were able to overcome that with a challenge. And you know what, partner? They were able to overcome a pretty steep deficit in the faceoff circle. Oh, yeah. I thought that was going to be, you know, I don't pay attention too much to that. Uh, you and Phil do a great job of of really having a pulse on the face-offs. Well, it's right there on the it board. Goes. It is. So it, it helps. It, yeah. it does. But, I mean, yeah, you guys have a really good feel, I think, of just without looking at the numbers, saying, well, I, I think Kadri's, he's won almost every face-off. And then you look down at the score sheet, and it's he's won seven of eight. I, I almost felt like they were just going to have Kadri take every face-off, and he was going to win every one of them <laughs> last night. Well, I mean, look, it felt like he was a machine. In the first period, the Flames went 18 and five. So that's 23 face-offs. Michael Backlund and Kadri both went seven and one. So 16 of the 23 faceoffs were taken on the Calgary side by one of two guys. So they basically followed your lead, and they're both lefties. So they even threw them on the other side, on the weak side. It didn't seem to matter. I mean, Lindholm's a righty, but yeah. they had those two guys take the majority of the faceoffs. This is the second game in a row, and you're right. You don't see this very often, where in the first period, the Lightning have been totally dominated in the circle. 18-5 to last night, and then against the Stars, it was 17-7. to So they were minus 13 last night after 20 minutes. They were minus 10 on Tuesday after one period. And by the end of the night, the Lightning have won the faceoff battle. That is a huge turnaround. Yeah. I mean, they have 40 minutes to make up the ground. So from that standpoint, they have a little bit more time than the team that jumped out to the big lead. But usually if one team is beating you 18 to 5 in the first period, you're not going to see a huge swing come back in the other direction. Stamkos helped settle things down, I think. He's, he was the first guy to start winning them in the second period. And then the other guys followed suit. Nick Paul started winning them pretty regularly in the second half of the game. So the Lightning ended up after going 5-18 and 18 in the first period. Mm -hmm. They won the faceoff battle 36-34. So let me right. do my quick math here. That's 31-16 to 16 in the second and third periods. And I thought it was a big key 
in the third period after the Myers goal made it 3-1 to one, that the Lightning were winning most of the faceoffs. They went 16-6 and six yeah. in the third period. So that hurt kind of Calgary's push to try and get back in the game. Just like it helped Calgary in the first period have a lot of possession because they started with the puck so much. You're right. And it, it was pretty interesting just to see how that evolved after the first period. And to the credit of the Lightning, they hunkered yeah, down. And I they think made an would, adjustment, clearly. who was? Did we have Sergeyev after period Yeah, Phil asked him. him yeah. And I mean, Sergeyev's a defenseman. So even on 50-50s, the defensemen yeah. usually are not as integrally involved as the wingers. But, I mean, they often say that, you know, it's got to be a team face of when the problem for the Lightning was in the first period, especially Backlund and Kadri, they were just winning them cleanly. <laughs> that puck was just well, that was right backwards. Yeah, I mean, there was there was no hesitation. That puck was coming back, and it was allowing opportunities, potential opportunities, without the Lightning yeah. being able to really react to it because they were won so cleanly. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to win a faceoff, right, partner? It's another thing to just have that thing go back with some some pace to freeze the defense a little bit and generate some scoring opportunities. But luckily for the Lightning, again, it's, you know, it's a cliche. It's why the game is 60 minutes. I mean, the Lightning right. were able to, to figure some things out, and that's why it's possible to play a great 60-minute full game. There are going to be moments, like we saw yesterday, where you know maybe the Flames had the edge in the face-off circle. They were able to generate some scoring opportunities. Maybe they get that first goal, but then all of a sudden it's the challenge. And the challenge has been very good to the Lightning, Dave, hasn't it, over the years? I mean, I feel well, like... Well, when they challenge... When they challenge, I think it's correct. been good. Yeah. They have had challenges go against them, though. Yes, They've I They've had some that. offsides yes. plays take away goals for them, but they are offside. Yes. So... I think that's fair. I again, that's like, that play. was one last night. Kadri's so close. Did it really have a bearing on the play? That one might have had so, slightly more because he did get to the front of the net and screen Vasilevsky, but we're talking about literally like a fraction of a second. But he was out of the puck. You know, I think that's a good question that we can throw there, and maybe we've debated this before. I, I can't remember, but part of that is if it really doesn't impact the play and it's as close as it was to that goal, is that is there does there need to be a little bit more of a gray area there and for allow something like that to happen? Well, that's like saying two plus two equals four, except when it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, offside is kind of a tough one because it's a clear cut rule. Yeah, the puck must cross the blue line before any attacking player. Right. So, let me get into the actual game because I thought the game was was interesting and the faceoffs had something to do with how the game unfolded. Mm hmm. I thought in terms of executing with the puck, the Flames, for the better part of two periods, especially in the second, were the far superior team. Yeah. There's a reason why the Flames had a huge possession advantage. And they forechecked well. So it's not like the Lightning were serving up pizzas, as they say. You know, unforced errors. Some of their mistakes coming out of the defensive zone or the turnovers that they had were forced by Calgary. A lightning guy got it, and there was a red jersey right there. Sometimes two red jerseys right there. Yep. Then the Flames read the play really well without the puck, and they moved the puck really well when they had it coming up the ice. You look at the shot attempts. 70 for Calgary, 
and 50 for the Lightning. That is probably fair. There was an advantage for Calgary in terms of possession. But, and this goes to that Kachuk, Johnny Gaudreau, Lindholm line that they had Mm -hmm. last year. The Flames, I don't think, did enough from their perspective with the possession advantage that they had. Now, some of that is due to the Lightning. So the Lightning had their issues with the puck, and a lot of those issues were forced by Calgary, but they still had their issues. The Lightning didn't have nearly as much possession as they had in the Dallas game, let's say. But when they didn't have the puck, they didn't allow many wide-open looks, if, if really any at all. Right. So it was a game. You're right. Vasilevsky played very well. 40 shots, 39 saves. But how many of those were like really high-end the two on Huberdeau. Remarkable saves. The second two on period Huberdeau, which they only yeah. gave they only gave one shot to Huberdeau. Are you talking about there was one in the second period? There was too? one in the second period. I feel like there was one in the third. For and sure. they had some looks. Like Lindholm came down the wing. Maybe that's when Perbix hurt himself. Remember that? Perbix kind of stumbled a little bit. Yeah, good point. Yeah, maybe it was then. I, I'm not good sure. Point. I didn't even notice that he wasn't available until you guys we pointed, pointed it out, out yeah. in the third period. Lindholm had a good shot there. Like Vassy got it kind of between his right arm and his body the the two Huberto ones certainly I remember the one in the third when Vassi made the glove save there was that one play where there was a turnover and Ruzicka hit the post yep that was a chance although it wasn't a shot on net but I and Coop referenced this I think a lot of their shots were from the outside there were not screens Vassi could see the puck very few were tipped there were hardly any rebounds so the Flames were unable to generate second-chance opportunities. So it was one of those games in which one team had a possession advantage, but the actual like scoring chance number, spitballing, as you know, I don't go by like mm-hmm. the websites that, that have this locked in as a number, but like spitballing, I thought the Lightning had more quality chances than Calgary, and some of that stemmed from the fact that Calgary was very aggressive pursuing the puck. I think the Lightning caught them a couple of times on counters. The best Lightning looks came off the rush, basically, right. for much of this game. And it was a weird game in that regard. One team had a possession advantage. The other team probably had the scoring chance advantage. So I think if the Lightning were to script it, I know they're really happy with one goal allowed, but I think if they were to script a game, they would like to have more possession. I don't think they are crazy about giving up 70 shot attempts. But if you're going to give up 70 shot attempts, keep the scoring chance number low, and they were able to do that last night. They were. And I think, as you alluded to, I think it was a situation as well where Vassi, when he was called upon... yes played very well and just because a a shot isn't a scoring chance doesn't mean that it can't go in right i mean it's not like they just like slid the puck to the net i mean they were shooting the puck he was stopping them though we'll get more shots he stopped the shots he was supposed to stop yes basically and you know what my and markstrom didn't (laughs) markstrom didn't (laughs) i mean you're right in fairness in fairness that one i I don't know if it would have changed the outcome again maybe the lightning still win that game but again you just don't see goals like that allowed and look and if if Vassy had something like that too happen to him we would probably point it out yeah <laughs> because it's just how it is hey how about ian cole again 
last night. He played almost 25 minutes. And he had five block shots, including the one on that penalty kill where it looked like he might have hurt himself and barely missed a shift. Again, another really good game for him, essentially so, playing the right side. They had to rotate some guys once Perbix went out, but I thought he had another outstanding game. Phil made him a number three star, his number three star. So I think, in my opinion right now, and I hate when we say in my opinion, Dave, it's our show. Of course it's our opinion, well, for most of the part. When, when I look at this top six right now, Ian Cole, along with Victor Hedman, is is very good. Now, you, I think you could put Ian Cole with anybody at this point, and I think that pairing would look solid. And it's mainly because I think Cole plays within himself and has a pretty high hockey IQ. And I think when you play with Victor Hedman, in some ways, you've got to be able to think the game at a high level in addition to being physically solid mm-hmm. in other words you've got a there's a lot more reading involved playing with the victor headman than let's say an eric chernak because if headman is liable dave to take the puck from the right side to the left side and vice versa maybe go end to end maybe pinch i mean you, you understand he's going to do a lot of things in the offensive zone because he has the skill set to do it but i think it's important to, and maybe it's the most important thing your defense partner needs to be able to understand that at all times on the ice and that you always need to be able to be at least the last person back understanding the risks and the rushes that Hedman mm-hmm. will take. I think Ian Cole at this point is playing as well as anybody on the back end within his limitations and what you're asking him to do. And again, I will go back to I don't care about the righty-lefty combination. I'm not the coach. You understand that. They like it a lot more, and every coach likes that in the NHL. But I also like continuity, and I like confidence. And right now, the chemistry between Cole and Hedman, and it could be Cole with anybody else, is such that when they finally get a healthy blue line, and I don't know when that will be, I am not removing Cole from Victor Hedman because it doesn't matter if Cole is a righty or a lefty. If he plays his side well and compliments Hedman well, to me, there's not much of a problem. And I think it's the perfect scenario for the Lightning to sit there and say, it might not be the perfect match in terms of righty-lefty. It's not. But you know what? I'm willing to accept it because Cole's a veteran and he understands what he has to do. And I think that combination partner, it might not last. I, I don't know. But as far as I'm concerned, if you want to say it's Sergachev and Perbix, and we don't know his health situation, but let's just go with it. Sergachev, Perbix, Hedman, Cole. You know Chernak's going to be part of the equation. And then from there, we got to figure some things out. But I'd rather... I'd rather be settled with another defenseman who's paired with Hedman than worry about my third pairing defense at this point. Because I think that that first option is more vital to the team's success. Not to say the other one isn't, but I think you need to, particularly with Hedman not having his, his 
security blanketed Jan Ruta, if you want to call it that, the last couple of years because he moved on. I think it's important to find that chemistry with Hedman and somebody else. And if it's Cole, so be it. And if you have to find somebody else to kind of mix and match in that third pairing, Dave, I, I think that's what you have to do. Well, let's find out what Perbix's status is. Because if Perbix is unable to play tomorrow, Foot is still in the red no-contact jersey, and Chernak didn't skate at the morning skate. He was out earlier, but it didn't sound like he was about to come back. So, I mean, maybe as many defensemen as they have, they may actually be short one if Bogosian is still not ready to return. Now, they said sometime before Thanksgiving, last time I checked, Thanksgiving is coming up, right? So maybe Bogosian is able to slot in as soon as tomorrow. We'll have to wait and see. Our hope is, though, that Perbix just kind of left for precautionary reasons and and he'll be able to he'll be able to slot right back into the lineup tomorrow. Yeah. I think that would be fair. I think that would be fair, but let's see what what happens. Let's see how this all plays out. You want to get to some questions, partner? Is there is there anything else you want to nail on this on this game cuz now they go on the road, they'll take on the Preds. Ryan mm-hmm. McDonough, right? Ryan McDonough. Yep. Uh, that's going to be fun. Preds have had a weird start to the year. They went over to Prague and they beat the Sharks twice and then they really stumbled. Yeah. Coming back home and They've kind of been middling. They beat the Islanders last night, 5-4. There were some weird games last night. I was talking about that Carolina-Colorado game, which I didn't actually check, but I'm guessing Carolina had a goal dislodged in overtime because my NHL app showed them winning 3-2 in overtime. And then the next time I checked, Colorado had won 3-2 in overtime, and Colorado had one extra shot than it had had before. Right. But that was a strange game. The Devils have now won, what, 11 in a row. The Bruins are 10-0 at home to start the season. Some interesting games last night in the NHL. I mean, is it a surprise that Boston is playing as well as they have? I mean, a I just bit. feel like... I mean, but I everyone's feel like saying, they like, do. oh, no Marchand at the start <laughs> of the year, he's back now. No McAvoy at the start of the year, he's not back yet. Understood. Jim Montgomery's a good coach, though. Yeah, he is. And I, I just feel like their leadership group there... Regardless of who's out, as long as they have a semblance of the core still playing at a pretty high level, I, I always look I, again. I always look at them in the regular season that they're going to find a way to be really good. I think the conversation for them, and you know what, partner, I'm going to throw this at Nashville. Let me tie this in. I'm going to throw this at Nashville. I feel like Nashville's always been a pretty good team. They had the one run where they played Pittsburgh in the Stanley Cup final, but as Chief said, you know they've been kind of like a weird team. They've got a good roster. Mm-hmm. but they haven't made a ton of noise in the playoffs. W- would that be fair? Because when you look at them over the years, they've always had a solid back end. I think they've always had pretty good goaltending. I think that goaltending at times has let them down in the playoffs, and that's that's tough luck. And I think they've done a pretty good job of trying to address their skill level. But it's been a team, I think a little bit like Boston, that has come up short in the playoffs, even though they've been pretty good in the regular season. I think that Boston has performed and delivered more consistently than Nashville. Yeah. The Bruins have finished higher in the regular season traditionally than Nashville, and they've gone deeper in the playoffs. Maybe the last couple of years, not so much. But during this time frame that we're talking about, which is going back 
well before the pandemic because it's true for both teams. Nashville played Pittsburgh in the 2017 Stanley Cup final. I think the Bruins have done more damage and they've been more comfortably positioned in the standings in the regular season. To me, the comparison for Nashville is Dallas. So Nashville, the year that the Predators got to the Stanley Cup final and lost to Pittsburgh, they were an upstart team. I believe they were the eighth seed. Yeah, they were. They were. And and they won some rounds, a little surprisingly, maybe upset some teams. They got to the Stanley Cup final. The next year, they finished first in the conference. I don't believe. Did they win the President's Trophy? Well, the Lightning were first. They might have won the President's Trophy because the Lightning were first in the East that year. That was the year they lost to Washington. And Nashville, that was the one regular season in which the Predators dominated and they lost to winnipeg in the second round losing game seven at home right every other year they've kind of been like dallas where we were talking about dallas dallas is kind of on the cusp are they going to get in are they not going to get in they're in that seven eight nine ten range for most of the year more often than not they do get in and because they're they're a lower seed not that it's automatic but often they go out pretty early in the playoffs. Dallas had the one exception, of course, in the bubble. They got to the Stanley Cup final, but that's kind of like Nashville, right? Dallas wasn't expected to get to the Stanley Cup final maybe that year. Did, similar to Nashville. So Nashville's been kind of caught in this middle ground in a way where they haven't been horrendous, where they're getting, you know, the Jack Hughes's or... You know, pick your pick your top picks, right? They're they're not in that position, but they're also not like one of the top elite teams where they're they're really in a position where you say, yeah, they're a contender. I guess if you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. We've seen that, but it's been year after year after year after year that they're basically like a middle of the pack team, which is good enough to get into the playoffs, but not go deeper. And maybe this year is going to be a little different for them. They scored more last year. I mean, Duchesne and Forsberg had really good years. They both scored 40 goals, but scoring was up around the league. And they had bad luck in that Saros got hurt in the last week of the regular season. So they didn't have him in the playoffs. Yes. Having said that, even with Saros, would they have gone deep? They probably would have played Calgary in the first round instead of Colorado. Because had Soros been in net, I like their chances to not lose their last three games or whatever it is that they that they lost. With UC Soros in net, do they do they give Calgary or if they end up playing Colorado, if they were to beat Calgary or run for their money? I don't know. Colorado looked pretty good last year. So that's kind of where I see the Predators, and they have to figure out what is it going to take for them to elevate it's good to point. get out of that middle yeah, of like point. 13 14 15 in the league standings let's get to some questions real quick here before we go to break al says your thoughts on myers and flurry lightning have real depth on defense is foot the odd man out is he a valuable trade asset putting any d on waivers will turn into another schuster situation 
Well, let me answer the first part about what do you we, mean? Turn this. into it? You mean losing like they lost Schuster on Probably. waivers? That's my thought or claiming okay. him, right? I, I, I'm assuming losing is is where Al is yeah. going there. Uh, I've answered the question about foot. I think right now, for me, the way things are shaping out or shaping up, however you want to phrase that, I don't know. I I think foot right now has to do has to get on the ice first. It's got to get healthy. But I think he's in a situation where there are some guys who are passing him up. So for foot and for the organization, they have to ask themselves the question, do we keep giving him opportunities to help our team to get his confidence going? And a secondary result of that happening is, do we increase his trade value if you feel like the other guys have passed him on the depth chart? Do I think those conversations, Al, are happening? I don't have any confirmation one way or the other my personal opinion would be yes but you can never have enough defenseman partner mm-hmm. and i think in foot's case he's got to get healthy and when he does get healthy when he gets an opportunity to play he's got to play like it's his last day in the nhl he's got to play with that snarl make good decisions play within himself but do it at a high level and i don't know when that opportunity is going to come because i think some other guys have played well and competition is never a bad thing in the nhl let me add one thing about the waiver situation because let's let's mention three players just for the sake of of this discussion. Foot, Myers and Flurry. So Foot and Flurry their salary is under a million. I believe it's under a million. I looked this up when we were talking about this earlier. If I'm wrong about that, it's it it's very close to a million. Flurry's under a million. If they go through waivers and go to the minors, their cap hit goes to zero. Myers makes $2.55 million. If he were to go to the minors, and again, clear waivers, and go to the minors, only the first million dollars can be used for cap relief. So you're still having a $1.55 million cap hit if Myers is assigned to Syracuse and clears. However... If we are under the assumption that Bogosian's salary is basically taking that player's spot because Bogosian would be activated, Bogosian makes what eight fifty. Yeah. So you're actually saving one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on your cap because instead of paying, and in this instance, Myers, instead of paying Myers two point five five. You're paying 1.55 for Myers and 850 for Bogosian. You know what I'm saying? I do. So that's a little bit of a savings, even though it's not ideal to have dead cap. Basically, is what you're looking at when you're paying when you're paying a cap number for somebody who's not on your roster. Then the question remains, which is what Al asked: Would one of these guys get claimed? And I have no idea if they would get claimed. You know, Myers is more of a commitment because there's a second year there. Flurry's on a one-year deal, and Foot has has you know his contract is up after this year, so who knows? I, I don't know what other teams' needs might be, but if you feel that you know they're looking to trade someone, then maybe they look at doing that first, and if they can't find a partner, then they try and send someone through waivers. But here's the thing: you get a couple of injuries, wouldn't you like to have these guys back, right? 
So they may of not course. want to say goodbye to these players organizationally. They may just need to create some some roster flexibility. Appreciate it, Al. We'll get some more questions on the other side. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linale. Happy Friday, everyone. Steve Versnick is producing. Back after this on Lightning Radio. You're listening to Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli. But no Greg Linelli. You know, I was the one that has a commitment today, which is why we had to pre-tape the Lightning are flying to Nashville early this afternoon. But Greg had a commitment. Yeah, Greg so didn't know he had a commitment. He didn't know he had a commitment. <laughs> Last night he knew he had a commitment. So he's like, can we go at this time and I'll do 40 minutes and then you and Steve can do the last 20 minutes i'm like i think steve and i can handle 20 minutes we've got some questions don't we steve we do we can, yeah we uh, can start off with those sure so uh tony had uh tweeted last night he says tonight we finally witnessed the potential for this team for another deep playoff run even without 71 and 24 we played a fast defensive four check agenda and that's what makes us the best all right look the lightning do want to play a fast four checking sort of game i'm not sure they did that last night I and mean, we talked about this. I thought in terms of possession, the Flames executed better than the Lightning. But that's not the whole story of how to win a hockey game. Usually if you outpossess the other team, you give yourself a good chance to come out on top. But if you're losing the scoring chance battle, you're putting yourself in a tougher spot. That's why last night's game was was strange in that regard, Steve. Yeah, I think I saw on the scoreboard during the first intermission they had uh, zone time for each team. And it was six minutes for Calgary, and it was 240-ish, 250-ish for the Lightning. Offensive zone time. Yeah, so presumably, I mean, they Calgary had double the offensive zone time that the Lightning did in the first And that period. became even more pronounced mm-hmm. in the second period. Yeah, it predict- well, it, and it became more pronounced, which was funny because the Lightning started winning face-offs. Yeah. But yet it was more pronounced that the Calgary was controlling play. Yeah, because the Lightning were unable to execute plays coming out of the defensive zone, as we talked about earlier in the show. The Flames had a hand in that. I was very impressed with how Calgary pressured the puck mm-hmm. and they got sticks in lanes, but they coughed up some scoring chances. And that's not going to make Daryl Sutter very happy. They're figuring things out. Look, I can't remember if I said this on the air or off the air, but if you have a line, I think I said it on the air to Kren. If you have the line of Stamp Ghost Point and Kucherov, and the Lightning have used that line before, and that's your line for a number of years, your top line, a dominant line, and then from one year to the next, you're plucking two players off that line and replacing them with significantly you know, impactful players in the league, but still you are replacing them. Finding chemistry is not going to happen overnight, and I think the Flames are, are still seeking that. Oh, no question about it. And, and not only replacing them, but you're replacing with different types of players. Like it was, like Huberdeau is not the same player as Johnny Gaudreau. Correct. You know, and so it's finding that chemistry, finding those lines, finding, uh, you know, the things that, We've talked about this with the Lightning. You know, when they trade for Barkley, Goodrow, and, and and Blake Coleman, it takes a while to find that chemistry. And, and maybe you know the the COVID break actually helped in that regard. It did because the the nine games they played before that COVID break, they didn't look very good on the team. 
You know, it was just them trying to figure things out. Um, Brendan Hagel last year never looked comfortable. You know, finally, in the playoffs, he got to that shutdown line and looked really good defensively, but offensively, he never really felt comfortable last year. This year, look at what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's that chemistry isn't something that's instantaneous for most players. It, it, you know, every once in a while, you might find that pair that, that can be that way, but it, it takes time. It takes that, you know, it, it takes working together and going over the iPad together and film and, and, and understanding how the other players on that line or – that defensive pair plays, you know, and it's why it's impressive what Ian Cole is doing with Victor Hedman now. But Calgary's got that issue of so many new players, impactful players that are new. It, it is going to take them some time. And you saw some good things from that team last night, but then you saw them cough up a lot of chances, and the Lightning capitalized. And and I didn't mean to dismiss Tony's tweet, mm-hmm. which, look, the tweet was positive, and last night's result was positive. And I think the positive part of last night's result was – even in the face of a huge possession disadvantage, the Lightning limited scoring chances. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe some of that was due to what we were just talking about, that Calgary is still finding its way a little bit to to translate possession time into, into scoring chance numbers. But that is something I think the Lightning want to carry over moving forward into these upcoming games, which is... If you can keep the scoring chance number manageable with Vasilevsky and net, you give yourself an excellent opportunity to keep that goals against number to two or less, which is which is kind of the target number for John Cooper. And amazingly, that was the first game this year. They allowed, allowed less than two goals. Yeah, that is amazing. And and there's only what three times this year in seven or now four in seventeen games that they've allowed less than three goals. I think Coop would say that Washington game that they won 6-3 should have been one of those games. <laughs> they gave up two <laughs> goals in the last three minutes. Fair enough, fair enough. But it goes down as a as a three goals against sort of game. And we said it on yesterday's show, it's rare to see Vasilevsky with a goals against over three and a save percentage under 900. Mm-hmm. I know his save percentage is now over 900. I think possibly his goals against dipped under three with last night's game. But... Getting a 39 out of 40 save game is going to help your save percentage for sure. Mm-hmm. But and in, in, I you know mentioned to you guys before the broadcast today too is the Lightning is is erratic. Maybe they've played. Maybe that's not the right word. Inconsistent that they've played this season and some of the the, the bad breaks and defensive breakdowns they've had. They're still on pace for 101 points at this point. Yeah, through 17 games, it's about 20 percent of the way through the season. I mean, you're getting to that. Thanksgiving time where you start to kind of figure out who's who in the league. And the Lightning are sitting at 10-7-1 right now. They have three games left in this 10-game segment. Games 18, 19, and 20 at Nashville, home Boston, home St. Louis. Those are are three tough games. The Lightning, I know they won the Stadium Series game last year in Nashville. Traditionally, they have struggled a little bit playing on the road in Nashville. The Bruins in the regular season anyway always play the Lightning well, and they are scorching hot, and the Blues seem to have turned a corner. Having said that, if the Lightning can get a minimum of three points in the next three games, they will have hit their their playoff metric again, mm-hmm. even with the fits and starts that we've seen at points early this year well and the lightning right now are in the midst of a lot of home games in november december i think they're in the middle of 15 out of 20 at home and munching those points as john cooper likes to say 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you just you played. You had a three game homestand. You took all six points. You know, now you're going to go on the road for one and come home for another two. You know, and even that four game homestand, it was two mm-hmm. one and one, mm-hmm. which you know at the end of the day isn't bad. They didn't really like how they played against Carolina, and they felt they left points on the table against Edmonton, but. You know, they still got five out of eight points, and they got six out of six. Mm-hmm. That's in this that's, last home stand. You know, that's I mean, that's what one of the things Boston's doing so well this year is they haven't lost at home yet. Yeah, you know, and it's if you can protect home ice and go five hundred on the road, you got a good shot to make the playoffs. You know, you don't have to win every road game. I know sometimes it feels like you need to, particularly if you're in a stretch of a lot of road games at once. But if you can take seventy-five or eighty percent of the points at home then all you have to do is go 500 on the road, and you're fine. I think we had another question, didn't we? Yeah, Astrid had uh, tweeted us as well. She said, really impressed tonight by what looked like a complete, well-rounded win. Are we surprised by how chippy things got in front of both nets at times, or does bad blood carry over for guys like Huberto, Uyghur, and Kadri? Well, look, again, maybe I'm – I don't mean to – take some of the air out of the Lightning's tires. I didn't think that that was like a Picasso last night. They did struggle with the puck at points in the game, but they made big plays and they defended hard. So if you can do that, I think you're going to put yourself in a position to get at least a point, and they did. I think that they can play better with the puck, if I'm being perfectly honest, than they did last night. About the chippiness... Some of it was spilling over from the three players that are new to Calgary this year. Huberdo and Uyghur do not like the Lightning from their time with the Panthers. And Kadri, we know about his role <laughs> in the Stanley Cup final last year. And he was involved in some post-whistle stuff. But I think a lot of it beyond that, or at least some of it beyond that, is stemming from the fact that the Flames are a frustrated bunch right now for the reasons that we just spelled out. They were the first-place team in their division last year. They had a fantastic season. They felt that their playoff run was short-circuited. They wanted to go deeper. And I think they're frustrated that they are where they are right now. They, they got off to a 5-1 and one start. And since then, they're what now? 2-6-2. Two, and, two. and last night's game was frustrating for them probably because they felt – Hey, we have all this possession, but we're losing. How is this happening? We can't catch a break. Lucic scores his first goal of the year, taken away. Now we're down. Like that's frustrating. I think I think some of the post whistle stuff yeah. stemmed from that. Well, and they also they get a goal and then give up a goal ten seconds yep. later. You know, you find you're like, okay, we're back in this game. And then you give up that the goal and now all of a sudden you're down two again ten seconds later. I mean, that's frustrating for a team. Absolutely. Do we have anything else? or I think that was all the questions I saw on Twitter. Okay. Unless... Well, we are pre-taping, so yeah. you know it's possible that people are going to be firing questions at us between 12 and 1. Which yes, because you'll be on. A... We can get to them either on Monday or, or maybe briefly touch on them on Saturday. I'm curious to see this Nashville team a team that the Lightning saw in the preseason, played a couple of games there and lost both. The one game that I did off the monitor was one of the more challenging broadcasts that we've had. That was due to Hurricane Ian, so the team was there, but but we weren't. We did it from the yep. studio. 
And it wasn't a Bally's TV production. So it was. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah we, we took it off so. the scoreboard feed, which was which was quite interesting. Hopefully, I'll that's the last the one building. of those we ever do. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but being in the building on Saturday will be will be much better for me. But I wonder if Nashville has started to turn the corner a little bit. I think they won they won their last couple after they hit a skid, and they're another team too. Like checking their roster, I mean they are bringing in some some newer players and integrating some newer players, and Ryan McDonough among them. They're leaning on him a lot. I think it's going to be interesting to play against McDonough. They're in the number two wild card spot right now. So they've won three in a row. So I, I didn't realize they'd won three in a row, but I knew that they had turned the corner a little bit. But their goal differential is minus nine. So I think that they they are they are like a lot of teams. They are kind of figuring things out right now. I think it's going to be really weird to see McDonough against this team. I mean, we saw yeah. it in the preseason, but it's preseason. Like, it's going to be weird seeing him on the other side. I mean, it was kind of weird seeing Yanni Gord on the other side. And, and you know, a lot of these guys that, you know, when they when we face the Devils for the first time, if Andre Palat's healthy, I mean, he's on IR right now, but if he's healthy, you know, just it, it's mm-hmm. players that have been with the Lightning for so long but had such a huge impact on winning two Stanley Cups, seeing them on other teams the first time is is a little weird, and I'm sure it is for the players a little bit too. Yeah, I mean... And McDonough's going to feel a little weird, too. Now, he's been through it before having played the Rangers after getting traded to the Lightning. But I'm actually looking at the roster, and, you know, other than McDonough, like they've added Jeremy Lausanne, who's been kind of a, a journeyman defenseman, and Kevin Lankinen is the backup this year to UC Soros, who figures to get the start. Zach Sanford is new to their team this year. They have this Yuso Parson in who had, I think he had two goals last night. I saw he scored one of the goals in the first period. I think he had a goal in the second period as well. He's a young prospect. He's a big guy, 6'3", 212. But I guess I stand corrected because a lot of their guys from from last year are, in fact, back. And so I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Duchesne and Forsberg and Yossi and Mikhail Granlin, Tanner Janot is a good player, Johansson, etc. I know Chief was mentioning last night that he thinks that they're kind of an enigma, that they've, they've been a really good team, but they never do much in the playoffs. Yeah, that's what we were just talking about. I think that they've been a good team, mm-hmm. but they haven't had one of those outstanding regular seasons other than the one year that they won the President's Trophy in 17-18. And the team that they have now is way different than that team years ago and last last year they ended up facing colorado in the first round right so i mean you know it, it, it may be a different opponent had they taken the first wild card and said the second perhaps their playoff fate could have been a little different last year i mean we saw how good colorado was in the playoffs i think what they lost two games the whole playoff so yeah well and they four, saw a national team they, that they lost that two going its... into the final they lost four total but Right, and they saw a Nashville team that basically used its third-string goalie. Yeah, that's Because Soros was out. Soros is healthy now, though, and you know that's the guy I think the Lightning are going to be seeing for sure. So it should be a it should be a pretty interesting game. I think the Lightning want to perform better than they did in that one up and back to Washington. They didn't like their performance in that game, 
And sometimes these one-off road games, I mean, I, I think it's beneficial so you're not playing like seven in a row at home. The Lightning played seven out of eight at home, right? They got the one road game in there to mix things up. But you want to make sure that you're ready to go when you have these isolated road games because once we get past, I mean, they have the three-game trip after Thanksgiving. But once we get into the middle of December, the pendulum is going to swing back and the Lightning have a lot of road games through December and really into January. They're not home very much in January. So, like we say, take advantage of the isolated home games when you have a heavy road stretch. The Lightning would like not to swing and miss on this one road game. But whatever happens, we'll talk about it on Monday, which will be a game day as the Boston Bruins will visit the Lightning for the first of four regular season meetings. But, Steve, thanks for helping me fill out the last 20 minutes here. Yep. And tomorrow night's and, uh, game is an 8 o'clock start. Yes, Central Time Zone. So pregame skate with the Chief and Eric will be at 7 o'clock, the pre- network pregame at 7.30. And then uh, Greg and Eric will have the last call after the game. So, Okay, sounds good. That'll do it for us. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Power Lunch on this Friday, and we'll talk to you on Lightning Radio tomorrow. Lightning and Predators from Nashville. Take care, everybody.